You are about to listen to the Friends of Anchor podcast, which keeps you up to date with the inspirational work of the Friends of Anchor charity and everything that it's doing to support cancer and haematology care in the northeast of Scotland. Hello and a very warm welcome to the Friends of Anchor podcast. In this episode, we will be hearing from Matt Huntington about his 25 plus 25 plus 250 challenge. We will be reflecting on the fact that hospitals can have a language all of their own. And we will be exploring your options if you are looking to buy a treat for someone undergoing treatment for cancer. We have given our news and update slot a break this month, but Erica Banks will be back for our next episode to let us know about Friends of Anchor happenings and upcoming activities, including the finalised arrangements for this year's Brave and Courage on the Catwalk events. Listeners to episode 5 will remember that Matt Huntington told us all about his 365 Days of Courage for Cathy challenge, which required him to run 10k every single day of 2021. Matt mentioned that he had embarked upon a follow-up challenge, also designed to raise funds and support for Friends of Anchor, and I promised at that time that we would hear further from Matt in due course. Well, that moment has arrived, as you are about to hear about how Matt almost turned into Forrest Gump as he kept going and going with his running exploits, until it turned out that even he could get injured and needed the odd rest. Undeterred, however, Matt has adjusted his training and running schedules and now has exciting plans to bring this latest, very challenging challenge to a successful conclusion. First of all, though, I thought that you would be interested to hear a few additional extracts from my first conversation with Matt last November. After briefly introducing himself, Matt speaks about the lengths to which he had to go in order to keep alive his goal of running 10k every day during COVID-affected 2021. He then explains the details of his follow-up challenge and the highs and lows that he experienced in pursuit of it during 2022. I live just outside of West Hill with my wife and three kids and I've lived in the area for about 27 odd years now. I came up here to work. My younger sister, Kathy, was treated and cared for by the wonderful staff at the Anchor Unit when she was diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer back in 2016. Kathy was due to take part in Friends of Anchor's Courage on the Catwalk event in May of 2018, but sadly she passed away just a few weeks before that event. So this is why I have a connection with Friends of Anchor through my family. And am I right in saying that there was the odd challenge of completing the 365 days, partly because of the pandemic? Was there not the odd day when you were cooped up in a hotel room or something like that? Yeah, that's right. So I do a lot of work with the swimming community. I'm a volunteer technical official. So I do events locally within Scotland and also further afield with British Swimming. So I was invited to be a technical official at the British Swimming Championships in April of 2021, which took place down in London at the Aquatic Centre where the Olympics was held back in 2012. But the conditions for attending that were very strict because we were trying to protect the athletes and the coaches and everybody else that was taking part in that because these championships were acting as the trials for the Olympic places for the Tokyo Olympics that were taking place that year. 
So we did lots of PCR testing. And when we arrived on site, we were allowed in our hotel rooms and at the pool and the short walk in between. And that was it. So obviously this presented a pretty yeah. significant challenge to somebody who was trying to run 10 kilometers every day. So before I left to go to London, I tested a feature on my watch, which records indoor running to see how it would compare and discovered that it was reasonably accurate. So in my eight meter long hotel room on those... I think it was five days I completed some running in there and I generally ran about 12 to 13 kilometers in my hotel room backwards and forwards eight meters. Kept myself amused with some music and watching some sport on the TV etc. But we had a long break every afternoon so I had plenty of time to do it and my colleagues did wonder if I wore out the carpet floor. <laughs> Brilliant and you didn't get too many complaints from whoever was underneath? No, no, not too many complaints. I think just disbelief that I was actually doing this. Brilliant. Matt, that's all been absolutely brilliant about 2021. And remind me again, that headline figure you raised... I think off the top of my head, it was just over £34,000. And that included all of the gift aid as well. So what a wonderful thing gift aid is to, oh, to top up the money that charities can use for good purposes. And most people would have been satisfied with that. But what did you decide to do for 2022? Much to my wife's delight, I've carried on running. So through the course of 2021, I really enjoyed what I was doing. It was tough at first. And then as the year went on, it got easier and easier. So I started probably foolishly thinking I was a little bit invincible. Thought, wouldn't it be wonderful to carry on raising some money for Friends of Anchor? So I dreamt up a new challenge. Of course you did. Off the back of the announcement that it was going to be Friends of Anchor's 25th birthday this year. So my new challenge is called 25 plus 25 plus 250. And the aim is to run 25 marathons, 25 half marathons and 250 10 kilometer runs. So a big step up. And you do know that you are totally bonkers, don't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Many people generally tell me that or look at me skeptically and think, is he going to achieve this? So it's been a different type of challenge. I will say that. But I had a great start to this year. I kept running at least 10 kilometers every day up until early March. So that carried on from the previous year's running. So yeah. I'd run a total of 430 consecutive days before I took a rest because wow. I had something on which meant that I couldn't run. And last year was a total of 4,600 kilometers by the time I stopped running and had a rest day and put my feet up, we were up to 5,600. So my body was in need of a rest. And I am taking regular rest days this year. So you've embarked on this new challenge. Carry on telling us how it progressed throughout this year and some of the highlights and perhaps lowlights as well, because I think injury was a factor this year as well. It was, Mike, yeah. So my current total at the moment, as of last night, I've run 10 marathons. 14 half marathons and 158 10 kilometer runs. Seven of those marathons have been virtual in the local area here, but I've also taken part in the Manchester Marathon, the Edinburgh Marathon, and most recently the Chicago Marathon as well, which was amazing. But the step up to these more regular, longer distance runs 
They place different demands on your body and, and things that I hadn't anticipated. So that feeling of invincibility at the end of last year, certainly um, I, I feel like I've come back to earth with a bump, <laughs> definitely. So I had a, an injury in my right foot. Some of the tissue in the arch of my foot got quite inflamed. So I had to take virtually two months off running after the Edinburgh Marathon. And I got a bit of COVID in amongst that as well. So virtually two months out of running. And then I managed to get seven weeks of training back in before I went to Chicago in early October. And you managed the Chicago run and enjoyed it, I think. It was a fantastic experience. It was exciting to be traveling internationally again after such a long time. Chicago is a lovely place to visit and the marathon itself was a brilliant experience. There was about 40,000 runners going through all parts of the city and the organizers estimate that there was about 1.7 million spectators, which was incredible. And along the route, there was very few places where there wasn't anybody cheering you on or there was music playing or some kind of support. It psychologically lifts you as you're running along for 26 miles. A fantastic event. I was there with a friend and we met some other people as well. So all in all, a fantastic five days. That's just terrific. So we're mid-November and uh, therefore six or seven weeks until the end of the year. And it sounds as if you've, you've still got a few runs to do before then. Yeah, I have. I have. I had originally set this challenge to be completed within this calendar year, but with the injury to my foot, I'll finish it in the early part of next year. Fair enough. And, you know, I think I'm allowed to do that. I don't think anyone's going to come back and complain about that. No. So that was the situation in mid-November. I caught up with Matt last week and started off by asking him for an update. As of today, I've completed 10 marathons, Mm -hmm. 25 half marathons. Brilliant. So they're complete. Job done. And 202 10-kilometer runs. Fantastic. So that's where we are as of today. And at the moment, I'm training for the Boston Marathon, Mm. which is taking place on the 17th of April. And I am following a training program for the first time ever in my, <laughs> in my stuttered running career. Sounds like a reasonable idea. Yeah, so I've got a couple of local friends who are helping me with that, doing a magic job. And they've got me not only running different types of sessions in the week, but we're also doing gym sessions and some running yoga as well. The gym and the yoga bit is quite new to me, but it's a nice compliment to the running. Good. And so that means how many marathons, how many 10Ks still to go? So I've got uh, 15 marathons to go and I've got 48 10Ks to go. So looking ahead between Mm -hmm. now and May, so I'll be doing the Boston Marathon in April. So I'm following the program. So I don't think I'll be doing any more marathons before then, just so that I don't injure myself. But then when I come back from Boston, I'll take a little break from the training program. And I've got six weeks until the Edinburgh Marathon, which is near the end of May. So my plan is to squeeze in 13 marathons in that time. Not quick, just long weekend runs at a nice easy pace. Just a few casual marathons, okay? Yeah. And my 10Ks, I'll probably finish the 10Ks before I get to, to Boston anyway. So the 25th marathon will be in Edinburgh. So that'll be on Sunday, the 28th of May, when I'm running with one of my friends. That feels like a nice fitting way to finish that in Scotland. And hopefully there'll be other people there running and supporting fundraising for Friends of Anchor too. Great. That sounds a very appropriate way to finish things off. In terms of people finding you and being able to track how you're getting on and also to donate if they want to, to give to it, then what's the best way for them to do that? 
I think I've probably mentioned the last time everything's being recorded on Strava. Yep. So if it's not on Strava, it doesn't count. And I am fundraising via a Just Giving page. So people can go to Just Giving and type in my name, Matt Huntington, and search for me. Or they can type in www.justgiving.com forward slash Matt Runs for Anchor, the number four there. And then beyond this challenge, I haven't got any. I haven't got any other crazy challenges in mind just yet. You'll be hanging up your running boots. Is that right? I'm going to do the New York Marathon, which oh. is in November. So you're not really going into retirement. No, I'm not retirement yet. No, <laughs> but just just no uh, specific crazy challenges. But I will be representing friends of Anchor at any event I do because I've really enjoyed representing them, repping the red, as they say part of the red army great but i do want to mention one person who's doing something pretty crazy this year for friends of anchor and that's a gentleman called martin longmuir who is going to be doing something called benahee 24 so he is going to be running for 24 hours in and around the benahee mountain range so i'm hoping to help support him on the day We've run a couple of times before. I ran with him on his last challenge when he did 10 marathons in 10 days. And he came to my final day of 365 days of courage and ran with us. So Martin's doing that in the middle of the year. And so hopefully I'll be there on the day supporting him and encouraging him and carrying whatever he needs to carry. So it would be great if people had a look out for Martin's uh, efforts. He's on Instagram and Facebook and he's raising money as well for Friends of Anchor. Does Martin have a date for his Benahi run? I believe it's on the summer solstice, the 21st of June. Brilliant. What a fantastic challenge. To finish off, we go back to my November chat with Matt when I asked him to share some fundraising tips and also to reflect on undertaking such an amazing challenge in memory of his sister. I was pretty new to this at the start of the year. And I think my key takeaway from it is if you're going to do some kind of challenge, whether it's physical or some other thing, be a little bit ambitious. Do something that's within your capability, but be a bit ambitious as well, because sometimes it grabs people's attention and they feel a bit more akin to providing you with a generous donation. And don't be shy about telling people what you're doing. And most importantly, don't be shy about telling them why you're doing it. Yeah. Because that's quite emotive. I've been amazed at the number of stories that people have shared with me about their loved ones and the links that they've got with the Anchor unit or with Friends of Anchor. And I think if you're raising money for a local charity and you're telling your story and how that charity or how the Anchor unit supported your family, it's a very powerful story. And throughout all of this, I think it's just reinforced to me how strong the community spirit can be. So don't be shy in telling people why you're doing it and what you're doing. This has clearly been a very significant thing to have done for Kathy. And I imagine you think about it when you run and when you've been doing some of these things. Uh, all the time. There were, there were days on the challenge which, um, you know, were you feeling a bit more tired or perhaps I was on my own. Um, the weather was rubbish, which isn't too difficult in Scotland. I mean, there were some days early in the year where the weather was um, particularly atrocious, deep snow, etc. But um, when I thought about Kathy, it just, you know, my motivation um, was never lacking. It didn't matter what the weather was or how tired I was. If I thought about her, if I thought about what she went through, you know, and her... Um, cancer treatment and you know all the difficulties that she faced then 
it, it, it wasn't very difficult for me to then motivate myself. And I was never short of support, whether it was from my family or my friends, um, hundreds of messages of support throughout the year. And as I mentioned, there's so many people locally connected to the Anchor Unit and Friends of Anchor that they were, they were more than happy to support me. Yeah, very emotional thinking about it. Having just heard from Matt, it seemed appropriate that this month's From the Archives feature should have a running theme. So let me take you back to Sunday, 16th May 1999, and an inaugural running fundraising event that took place in support of Friends of Anchor on that date in Aberdeen. I appreciate that the odds are stacked against trying to include quizzes in a podcast in any kind of satisfactory manner, but let's give it a go. Five simple questions, but you're on your own for them, no conferring, okay? Ready? Question one. Where in Aberdeen did this first ever fun run take place? Question two. According to the Press and Journal's report on the event, roughly how many people took part? Any answer within 25% of the correct figure will be accepted. That's how generous I'm being with this question. Question 3. How long was the fun run? This time you've got to get the exact figure. No wiggle room on this occasion, I'm afraid. Question 4. The Press and Journal specifically mentioned three categories of people who took part in the fun run. Families and medical staff account for two of those categories. What was the third? And finally, question 5. Given that the event took place in Aberdeen in mid-May, what word do you think was used to describe the weather for the event. Okay, I'm going to trust you to mark your own answers. Here we go. Question one. Where in Aberdeen did this first ever fun run take place? The answer, Hazelhead Park. It's now better known for its park run, but Hazelhead Park is the answer. And the answer to question two. According to the Press and Journal's report on the event, roughly 280 people took part. So with a tolerance of 25%, any answer between 210 and 350 will secure you the point for that question. In response to question 3, your answer needs to be that the length of the run was 4K. Nothing other than the iconic distance of 4K is acceptable as a correct answer, I'm afraid. And question 4. According to the P&J report, families and medical staff ran alongside professional athletes. Although I suspect that those three named categories weren't actually running physically, side by side. And finally, question five. What was the weather like? Well, I'll give you a point for any answer that suggested it wasn't awfully good, and you gain a bonus point if you nailed it with inclement, which was the P&J reporter's official verdict on the weather during the event. I trust that you got at least the last answer correct, and hope that you enjoyed taking part in the inaugural From the Archives quiz. As regular listeners to the podcast will know, my wife Alison and I have been using the Finding the Words section of each episode to share some thoughts about how the language used in a range of contexts can be quite a significant factor during the diagnosis and treatment of a serious illness. For the first few episodes, I was very happily calling the shots and largely acted as question master, but Alison turned the tables on me last time and enjoyed it so much that she made it clear that she was keen for that arrangement to continue. I said that was okay, as long as she came up with interesting questions of her own. So now is the moment when that gets put to the test. Take it away, Alison. 
Thanks, Mike. I'm very happy to do that as I've come up with some cracking questions. I just hope that your answers will be of an equally high standard. Wow. Talk about throwing down a challenge. So it's Monday the 20th of November 2017. And after talking about how important words were when receiving your diagnosis and telling family, friends and colleagues about your situation, we have finally arrived at the point where you're coming into Haematology Ward 112 for your first cycle of chemotherapy treatment. As far as words and language were concerned, did your admission to hospital make much of a difference? In fact, it really did, and much more than I had expected. After all, I was already used to receiving letters from the bone and soft tissue sarcoma clinic or invitations to attend the radiology department for an imaging procedure described as being CT neck, thorax, abdo, pelvis with contrast. And I do accept and understand that the language of medical treatment is bound to be quite technical as diseases, conditions and procedures all tend to have their own specialist terms. What I wasn't fully prepared for was how overwhelming that might feel during the first few days of being in hospital when everything was so new to me and there was inevitably a certain amount of apprehension about what lay ahead. I think that the item that best illustrates my experience at that time was my chemotherapy record booklet, which was a bit like a sticker book without the stickers and without the fun. In theory, It's an excellent idea, and I don't think that I would change it, as it has provided a very useful record of the treatment that I received. But, initially, it certainly didn't make for light reading. Page 5, for example, provided the following information. My treatment regimen was called R-Maxi-CHOP, and consisted of the following drugs. Rituximab, on day 1, followed by Vincristine, Duxorubicin, and Cyclophosphamide on day 2. The frequency of treatment was to be 21 days. And the impact of those polysyllabic medical terms can build up. My first couple of discharge letters, for example, comprised a list of a dozen such names being the medicines that I was being given to take home with me on those occasions. So, do you think that things should be done differently? Not necessarily. To a large extent, it simply is what it is. And on the positive side, helpful and reassuring information was provided on entry to the ward, not least through the Friends of Anchor Welcome Pack. I have wondered whether it would help if drugs could be given names like Cancer Buster, Energy Giver, or Essence of Wellbeing, but I'm sure that I would react against them as well, just for different reasons. Overall, though, the more that can be done to anticipate words, language and jargon that might wrong-foot patients, the better, I think. And were there any particular expressions or terms that you needed to be familiar with and to understand once you were on the ward? Well, I quickly got into the way of having detailed conversations about my pick line, the long thin tube that is surgically inserted into a vein on your arm and is used for administering drugs, drawing bloods, etc. Any issues with the valves or blockages in the tubes could disrupt treatment, so there were frequent conversations about cleaning the connectors, flushing the tubes with saline and changing the dressing. And I also had to become familiar with the Bristol stool scale. Hmm, I'm a bit worried about where this might be heading, but do please explain. Well, I quickly became used to the fact that every visit to the bathroom needed to be followed by a period of reflection, as I considered what I needed to enter on the chart that was used to keep track of the defining characteristics, such as texture, solidity, shape and format of, how shall I put this, my output. Really? Did you have to go there? Well, I'm just answering your question, but I take it that you don't want me to go into the fine detail of how I decided, for example, between type 2 on the scale, mild constipation, and type 5, lacking fibre. Oh, please don't. 
We do, however, have time for one final observation from you from this episode. What's it going to be? You really are enjoying pulling the strings, aren't you? In previous episodes, we have talked a fair amount about the importance of names, for example, cancer itself, or your coinage of mental cell lymphoma. Some people suffering from cancer have given their tumour a name and have found that helpful, I think partly because it will have made them feel that they have done something that has helped them to exercise some kind of control in the situation. One thing that became very clear to me at an early stage on the ward was that my time in hospital was going to be affected by the fact that the vast majority of the time I would be hooked up to a portable IV drip stand. While I was receiving drugs or fluids etc, which was pretty much all the time, it would need to go wherever I went, which was frequently a cumbersome and frustrating process as the wheels didn't always behave as I would have expected, and the tubes and cables were forever getting tangled. So it felt like a minor but significant victory when I bestowed the name Marvin, inspired by the grumpy robot in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, on the drug dispensing pump and collection of metal rods to which I was semi-permanently shackled while on the ward. Apart from anything else, I was able to extract some comfort from the fact that I could be confident that, given Marvin's personality in the novel, it would follow that his namesake would be enjoying our joint circumstance even less than I was. Many thanks for sharing all those interesting thoughts with us, Mike. I think that format worked really well, and I'm happy to continue asking the questions next time. (laughs) No surprise there. Of course you are. I love how you managed to put such a spin on what you said there, making it sound as if you're doing me and the listeners a great favour by continuing in Question Master mode. As indeed I am. As ever, please get in touch with us by emailing us at foapodcast at freerangepodcasting.co.uk if you would like to join in our conversation about finding the words. Otherwise, that's all from me, and I very much hope that you can join us next time. Bye! For this month's and finally slot, I thought that I would raise the topic of cancer treats. It sounds like a bit of a paradox, as if we have a choice between having cancer and missing out on some treats. But the point, of course, is that receiving something that feels special can make a huge difference to how we feel when we're in the middle of grappling with cancer and its impact on our lives. What really works and gives someone a boost is going to depend entirely on the person, their circumstances, the nature of a treatment, etc. But the key thing, I think, is the hugely positive effect of simply knowing that someone is thinking about you, cares for you, and has made a real effort to give you something that works for you in your situation. Three quick examples to illustrate this from my own experience are as follows. Food was tricky because I often felt nauseous when I was undergoing treatment, but I don't think that I ever turned down a small tub of ice cream. My skin often seemed to be on the receiving end as far as side effects from my treatment were concerned, so some heavy-duty moisturiser was always greatly appreciated. And personalised messages delivered in a thoughtful, creative or funny way were hugely uplifting. For example, one of the primary school classes sent me a flock of origami birds, which they described as cranes or stalks of happiness, and on each one they had written an individual message of encouragement. Very special. That's us for this episode, so thank you very much indeed for listening, and please get in touch with your thoughts, feedback, questions and suggestions via email at foapodcast at freerangepodcasting.co.uk. And please also sign up to receive updates about the Friends of Anchor podcast by filling in the brief form to which there is a link in the show notes. 
And please join us again next time. In the meantime, do look after yourself and each other. Goodbye. This podcast has been brought to you by Free Range Podcasting. Let us take you and your podcast where you want to go. 